Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to Arkansas AgCast for April 16th. I'm your host, Rob Anderson. This week, we talked to Dr. Matthew Pelkey, an economist and professor at the University of Arkansas at Monticello, about the impact of the COVID-19 crisis on the timber industry. We also get an update from Arkansas Farm Bureau's Jason Smedley on the new Farm Corps program that connects job-seeking National Guard and Reserve soldiers and other military veterans to jobs in agriculture. And we hear from Arkansas Farm Bureau specialty crops expert John McMinn about issues facing that sector of agriculture. First, Keith Sutton talks to Arkansas Farm Bureau Public Policy and Government Relations team member Jason Smedley about the new Farm Corps program launched recently with the help of Congressman Rick Crawford to help address farm labor shortages caused by the COVID-19 crisis. Jason tells Keith about the program to help connect National Guard and Reserve soldiers and veterans with farmers looking for workers. Welcome to AgCast. I'm Keith Sutton with Arkansas Farm Bureau. Today I'm in Little Rock and I'm visiting with a fellow employee at Farm Bureau, Jason Smedley, who is the Assistant Director of Public Affairs and Government Relations. Welcome to AgCast, Jason. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm glad we're getting a chance to talk. We've got a uh, new program that's just out that a lot of folks don't know about. It's called Arkansas Farm Corps, and I believe uh, the word farm is actually an acronym for Farm and Ranch Mission. Can you uh, tell us some about this program and and what its uh, what its goal is? Yes. So this program was initiated by Congressman Crawford uh, and some of his uh, uh, constituents are farmers in his in his district and and they reached out to him and let him know that that they're having difficulty uh, getting employees. Uh, for their farm, and part of that is due to the COVID-19 and being able to get the workers that they're usually able to get uh, because of a lot of the restrictions. And this was going to prove to be a, a big challenge because without the workers, uh, their farms uh, wouldn't be as successful, and it was going to be detrimental not only to those particular farms, but we're talking statewide and nationwide impact uh, in regards to food shortage. And also, uh, Congressman Crawford realized that a lot of our military, our guard and reserve military, uh, are unable to complete their orders. In fact, uh, I am a Marine uh, major, and my orders uh, were canceled with my unit. And while it doesn't affect me uh, as much because of my civilian job, I definitely know it has a larger impact on uh, junior soldiers and junior service members who depend on their drill pay and their uh, guard pay uh, to to support them. So without that, uh, you have these ready, willing, and able service members who are unemployed. And so he came up with the program Farm Corps to connect farmers uh, with a workforce and to connect service members with a means of employment. So this is a very important deal right now. We've got farmers who really are kind of stuck without having any help, and then we also have service members who 
are in drastic need of, of work right now while this COVID-19 problem's going on. So Congressman Crawford's figured out a way to put those two groups together so it helps both of them. Absolutely. And it's a program that uh, has been well-received uh, because we have farmers not only in his district but across the state who are in need of, of employees. Um, and I've, I, uh, as a contact for the farmers and service members, I've received calls from service members from across the state, including from uh, neighboring states, especially in Mississippi. So this is a, a, a program that, that's more than, than just show, but it's actually, uh, actually given support to our agricultural system. So this is a brand-new program. Is that correct, Jason? Yes, this is a new program. And it's right now it's an Arkansas program, but perhaps this is something that might grow into other areas as well. Yes, it, it may grow in other areas, and uh, it may take on a different form, but at, at, at least uh, we can give uh, other states an idea of how we were able to address this issue and, and maybe it can spark the conversation and uh, their, with their initiative that they can start something similar that can assist their farmers. So for the people who are out there listening who might want to be uh, participants, whether that's a farmer or a service member, uh, how do they get involved with this and take advantage of Farm Corps? So that's a great question. So we have a link for farmers to go to, and it's a simple link. They fill out their information, who they are, uh, what county they're looking for uh, workers in, and um, uh, what path that the workers will be doing, whether you need them as, as tractor drivers or you need them for general labor, and also how long uh, you'll be employing them. And there's another link for service members uh, to review a consolidated list of all of those farmers. And so that list is updated at least once a day. And you can look at the list, and when you find uh, a farm opportunity that you're interested in, uh, you can contact that farmer directly uh, for your employment. Uh, we try to keep the system simple. We try to make it uh as, as expedient as possible so that the farmers can get their their support um, uh, as soon as possible. Now, the the links are a little long uh, to explain, I, I think, over the podcast, but what I ask is that if you go to the Arkansas Farm Corps Facebook page, the two links are located on that page in this Arkansas Farm Corps Facebook page. And when you go there, uh, you can go to the link, and you can see all of the farmers that uh, are looking for employees. I believe it's also located on the Arkansas Farm Bureau website. So you can go either to the Facebook or to the Farm Bureau website, and you'll be able to pull up both of those links. I just looked at both of those. Uh, the website link is at ARFB.com. That's our Farm Bureau website. And I should mention that if you're looking for the links on Facebook, 
The word core is spelled C-O-R-P-S. It's not C-O-R-E. It's C-O-R-P-S, core, uh, Arkansas Farm Core. So those of you who are out there listening would like to get involved, you can find the information either on our website or on that Facebook page. And then what happens, uh, Jason, if I get on there and sign up, say, as a service member who uh, would like to talk to the, one of these farmers, will he call me back or do I need to call him? Uh, you would call him. You'd call him and you let him know who you are and, and that you're interested in the farm opportunity. And you all would discuss um, um, the opportunity that's available. He can give you more detail about it. And, and if you're still interested, um, you all can meet up and, and he can he can hire you. So uh, it's, already- it's really simple, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> you, you sometimes think, well, I'm going to have to be online for hours filling out forms and doing that. But that's not the case with this. No, I, I have helped farmers fill out the form. It is taking... Uh, less than three minutes for farmers to fill out the form. And for service members, and you don't have to fill out anything. You just go online and you see an opportunity that you're interested in and you call that farmer directly. Uh, Even though this program has, uh, with the links, has been in existence for uh, less than literally five days, uh, we've already had uh, service members hired and we have service members that are interviewing. So really what we need to do is get the word out so everybody knows these opportunities are available. So one thing we'd like you to do if you're listening to this today and you're a Facebook user, maybe you get online and share that uh, Facebook page with some of your friends. This is a real simple way to connect folks and uh, come to a good end for everybody get farmers some help, get some jobs for our service members who need those jobs. And uh, it's just a great idea, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And I also want to add this piece. Although we are focused on our service members, uh, we do understand that not all the service members are in the area uh, that, that farmers are in need. So we have opened it up to civilians uh, as well as veterans who are interested in agricultural opportunities. So even if you're not a service member but you're interested in the opportunities, please feel free to visit the link and reach out to the farmers. I guess the the one thing we need to encourage is we just really like folks to uh, go to the website, go to the Facebook page, check out all this information. If you know somebody who could benefit from this, uh, we really want to get the word out to them. It's simple and easy, and uh, we certainly appreciate what Congressman Crawford has done working with Farm Bureau to make these opportunities available. Absolutely. Uh, we think this is a great initiative, and I would say, you know, as as a Farm Bureau uh, staffer that this is um, this is another way for us to advocate and support our Arkansas farm families and uh, we're glad to be a part of it and, and we hope to continue this effort and support not only our farmers but our service members as well well Jason we appreciate what you do I know you as a, a service member yourself uh, spend a lot of time uh, working with folks and 
We appreciate your help, and we appreciate you taking time to talk with us today. All right. Glad to do it. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you very much, and uh, stay safe, and have a good day. All right. You too. Next, Ken Moore talks to Dr. Matthew Pelkey, an economist and professor in the College of Forestry, Agriculture, and Natural Resources at the University of Arkansas at Monticello, about the wide-ranging impacts of the COVID-19 virus on the timber and forest products industry. In this conversation, Pelkey says those impacts will likely affect logging and the production of timber products into 2021. I'm Ken Moore on this week's edition of Arkansas AgCast. I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Matthew Pelkey. Dr. Pelkey is an economist and he is the Clippert Endowed Chair in the College of Forestry, Agriculture, and Natural Resources at the University of Arkansas at Monticello. And uh, Dr. Pelkey, thank you for visiting with us uh, here on this week's edition of AgCast. Uh, you were gracious enough to allow us to uh, produce a little video with you uh, last week, uh, updating our viewers uh, on our website and social media platforms about the impact of the COVID-19 virus on our timber and forest products industry. But I'd like to go and dig a little bit deeper with you uh, during this conversation. Uh, you did an excellent job during that video of explaining briefly uh, the impacts that the virus and all of the protocols are having on our timber uh, industry. But uh, if you will kind of go into a little more depth uh, for us, I know it's having wide-ranging impacts on commodity prices uh, all across the nation, especially the cattle uh, industry uh, is, is suffering from this. Uh, dairy farmers are suffering from it, but also uh, private property owners and uh, landowners who, who are growing timber are suffering, and, and mills have been uh, partially shut down because of it. So uh, in your words, just take some time and explain how the virus and its ripple effects are impacting our forest uh, products industry. Well, thank you, Ken. That's an excellent question. And ripple effects is exactly the way to describe this. The impacts on our economy are on housing and consumer product sectors. As millions of people are laid off from the work, they're simply buying less. And they're also buying less of a lot of wood products. There are a few wood products that they're buying a little bit more of, and we'll get a chance to expound on that later. But they're buying primarily large items like homes, and 60% of all softwood lumber produced in the southern United States goes into housing. So as people are doing less, there's less housing construction at the residential level, and as people are buying fewer new homes, and also even buying fewer used homes, and then thus not remodeling those homes, What's happening is, is those are ripple effects that go down to our softwood sawmills and to our hardwood sawmills. And then with those mills having curtailments, that ripple effect goes down to loggers who don't have jobs, don't have the ability to bring wood in. And then those loggers aren't buying or moving timber from landowners. And so landowners are holding or having to hold or delay harvests, which one, reduces immediate income to them, but also it means we don't get to plant the next crop of trees, which means that the, the ripple effect from COVID-19 is going to be felt 20 to 30 years into the future as well. Well, you just said something I was hoping you wouldn't say in the sense that this will have long-term effects uh, because of what we're experiencing today. And, and just kind of explain that a little bit further, why 
will this be built 20 to 30 years down the road for people who may not who may not be private landowners but we have to plant new tree stands and it takes many years for those trees to grow into a stage ready to be harvested certainly another excellent question so the ripple effects will have will have a, a more immediate two to three year term in terms of reduced prices, which will also induce landowners to harvest less and plant less. Then we have the issue of with COVID-19, tree planting crews, which is very labor intensive and is extremely difficult to social distance. So if we ask our tree planting crews to social distance, that's gonna reduce their efficiency probably by as much as 50%, which means it's going to cost either twice as much to get your land planted, or it's gonna take twice as much time or a combination of, of both, where there's going to be higher cost and more time, which means less planting, which means in that supply chain, 10 to 12 years down the road, it means our first our first thinnings for pulpwood, for paper products from these landowners, isn't produced. That's delayed a couple of years. And the second thinning, which usually happens around 18, 19, 20 years, which has got more pulpwood and some small saw timber, that gets delayed. And then final harvest, which would happen somewhere between 25 and 35 years, that's also going to be delayed. So while this all sounds bad, over those 20 years, we can smooth out some of those bumps a little bit through good forest management and landscape-wide planning and, and doing a little bit of thoughtful supply analysis. And landowners can harvest timber a year or two earlier or a year or two later to kind of smooth out that supply. But it's going to take some extra work and extra effort, and it is going to cost landowners some revenue because of this change in the markets that's happening so severely today. In your career, as you've analyzed the markets over, I'm sure, several decades, have you ever experienced uh, a phenomenon quite like this one? that's had these types of impacts. Uh, this is all brand new for many people, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I've never experienced anything like this. And the, the key to recovery, of course, first is going to be, you know, you know, dealing with the pandemic, making sure that it's healthy and safe for people to interact, and then working to find ways in a new economy uh, to make things work. So, for example, within forestry, we may need to diversify our planting crews and our planting seasons. Containerized uh, seedlings, which are going to extend the planting season, may become even more necessary as we're going to have to work with our planting crews and silvicultural crews, which are largely H2B visa workers, uh, and there's been some restrictions with them uh, in the, in the, during the COVID-19 crisis because we're trying to reduce the possibility of, of infection of migrant workers working from state to state unfortunately could be good transmission vectors for the disease. But going back to the modifications, so we're going to be looking at just, just changing the way we do business in, the, in our mills. So we're going to have to worry about with shift changes on mills, doing, doing some type of disinfectant process at workstations. We're going to be looking at in logging operations uh, and in timber yarding operations the same type of either disinfectant operations or maintaining social distancing. It's going to change everything that happens on that processing side. It is going to make it a little bit more expensive, but with, with some thought and some modifications, we can get through this. Yes, sir. Uh, I was watching a news uh, report just, uh, just earlier today. And, and of course, 
lately, uh, the discussion has shifted to flattening the curve. We're seeing the uh, reported cases of the virus lessening a little bit day by day. And then, you know, everybody's eager to wonder when will life get back to normal? And then the doctors and specialists, healthcare officials are saying we can't return to life as normal, even though you may be able to return to the office or, or return to the parks. You know what I'm saying? Because of the second wave of this coming on later in the year, potentially, they're already seeing, I heard on the news, even though uh, the restrictions have been eased in uh, the epicenter of this, Wuhan, China, uh, they've already started hearing about new reported cases being documented, and that could happen here later this fall, couldn't it? Oh, absolutely. Uh, And and that is a concern that would, would lengthen uh, the economic recession that I believe is going to come, I think our third, fourth quarters, unfortunately, we're just not going to, we're, we're not going to see a good, strong economy probably until the second quarter of 2021 if we get the COVID infection under control by midsummer. I'd like to point out, however, that the, the wood products industry, particularly the paper industry, can play a very and does play a very significant role in helping us control COVID and then also in the future living with it. We talk about the production of sanitary paper products, paper towels, paper plates, sanitary medical paper, you know, running from the paper cups that we use in hospitals to the wrappings for surgical instruments, but also paper masks. It may become much more common that when we're working in close environments that we're going to be wearing some type of mask covering. And so using paper masks is going to be an inexpensive and and economically probably the best way to help protect worker health. We can even start fabricating things like wrappings uh, and for uh, machinery, equipment, control panels, and even gloves could be manufactured. Even these nitrile gloves could be made uh, from cellulosic uh, uh, processes where we're converting uh, wood fiber into into petroleum-like products and then moving on into this type of nitrile uh, latex glove. So the pulp and paper industry might actually see some, some influx of capital and some opportunities for some real growth to help us live with the changes that COVID-19 is going to force upon us. I appreciate you bringing that out. And that just uh, led me to this next question, uh, is the phenomenon of consumer hoarding, if you will, of bathroom tissue that we all experienced over the last month. Uh, you can't find it hardly even today, five weeks, six weeks into this uh, distancing uh, environment that we're in, uh, staying at home more. Uh, I know mills are having to produce a lot more to meet that demand, aren't they? Absolutely. But there is a really great issue because that's a super good question. With most paper mills, they're already running from from an economic efficiency standpoint. If they aren't running at 95% efficiency in in terms of capacity in a normal period of time, they're simply economically not going to be viable. They're going to be run out of the business. So these mills, while they might be running now at 110% of normal, that's only going to pick up total production of things like sanitary paper products and disposable disinfectant wipes it's only going to increase that production by maybe 10% over what is normal. 
it'll take massive amounts, and I'm talking about as a single paper mill, as much as $500 million in one paper mill to substantially increase its capacity to produce these new products. That's the reason why you can't find paper towels, you can't find toilet tissue, you know, anywhere on these markets because, you know, as people are buying out of fear and, and, and potentially hoarding, about that fear buying is draining those shelves, and the paper mills just can't keep up. Well, we need to learn not to hoard and not to buy out of fear. And one would think that after a time, uh, that would subside. Uh, just use common sense and purchase what you need, even though many retail outlets are trying to limit the volume that consumers purchase at one time. Uh, we need to be just using some common sense in that regard, and I appreciate you explaining why. Uh, how is the uh, unusually wet weather? I know down there where you are right now in Monticello, uh, Drew County, uh, you're kind of down there. We're in the epicenter of a severe storm, and you're still dealing with power outages uh, from this severe storm a couple of nights ago. Uh, how is that impacting, uh, you know, what's going on in the timber industry right now? Oh, another really excellent question. Uh, one of the biggest issues is that this time of year, we normally are just coming out of the winter weather and extremely wet soils, which means that loggers, largely for the past six months, have had a hard time producing a lot of wood fiber. And so they've been looking forward to this time of year as, as a time when they can start ramping up production, mills start buying more wood, to put wood on the yard, uh, and then they, and they continue to do this throughout the summer and into the early fall months, so that by this time next year they've got enough wood on the yard that they're so excuse me by by fall of next of this year they've got enough wood sitting at the mill that when there are temporary weather outages they can continue production throughout those outages. So what's happening right now is uh, all these loggers have been waiting for this dry period to come. And we get another three and a half inches of rain, which normally will alone will depress uh, our logging operations. But now the COVID-19, and we've seen warehouses are announcing curtailments. We've seen Anthony Timberlands uh, in Arkansas uh, uh, curtailing production at two different mills. And we've seen Domtar Paper shutting down one paper machine uh, in Ashdown. So all of these drives, and then on top of it, we saw you know last year. Uh, Georgia Pacific at Crawford shut down uh, one of their one of their paper machines, and so this series of bad news just keeps coming for the logging industry. And you know, a year and a half ago, I was worried about there not being enough loggers to meet what we thought was going to be growing demand, uh, and then we saw an announced paper mill deal fall through. We saw paper mill closures. Now we're seeing both softwood lumber and more paper mill curtailments. Just at the time when the logging industry needed to have some work. This is just really not good news for the logging sector. And of course, that is the critical component and link in all of this. We've got landowners that are growing a lot of wood. We are eventually going to see a return and we're going to have mills that are going to need wood brought to them. But without the logging sector, we don't really have the ability to move wood from landowners into the mills. Well, finally, and that's uh, 
you know, we need that. We need, you know, good weather. We need uh, a better economic climate. But in this uh, environment that we're in right now, this, if we explain kind of a just in layman's terms for the benefit of our listeners why this is such an important sector of our overall state and national economy. I mean, uh, we're familiar. We report on, you know, how important uh, our row crop farmers are and our animal agriculture industry is. But uh, most of our land mass in Arkansas is in timber. And uh, this is what drives the uh, economy, much of it, in the state of Arkansas. Why is it so important? Because of what's happened on Wall Street, the uh, ripple effects, as we talked about at the beginning, uh, on our overall national economy. Uh, This is something that has almost, is it an accurate statement to say, for the first time since 2008, this has sent us back into a recession? Yeah, I believe so. We, it's going to take some time for the data, but we are going to be in a national recession. And, of course, that's going to have that impacts under the forest products industry, as I've talked about. Why is it so important for Arkansas? Of all the 13 southern U.S. states, Arkansas's economy is the most timber dependent. The largest proportion of our total economic uh, growth, uh, growth, gross domestic product, the largest proportion of GDP comes from the forest products industry in Arkansas relative to all the other states. Additionally, when we think of forestry, we think of of landowners, loggers, primary processing mills, things like sawmills, and then secondary processes like furniture mills. If we tell the entire sector, that represents 25% of Arkansas's agriculture. So it's going to be a huge impact, and any impact on the wood products industry is felt more keenly in Arkansas than any other southern state, and there are only two states in the nation that are more dependent, that being Maine and Wisconsin. So Arkansas is third in the nation in terms of its dependency on the wood products industry. So when it hurts, anything that hurts the wood products industry, those effects are magnified in the state of Arkansas. Well, Dr. Pelkey, let's just uh, hope and pray that uh, the climate will turn around. I understand that... uh, you know, our economy is cyclical. Uh, the impacts uh, that affect, you know, our economy are cyclical. We couldn't have anticipated this even three, four months ago happening. We were enjoying a robust national economy. And, and you said, you know, last year you were anticipating a big, nice upturn in demand uh, for our wood products. And now all of a sudden, uh, overnight almost, it seems like that's turned. But it, good days will come again, won't they? Oh, absolutely. Arkansas Arkansas farmers and forest landowners are some of the most educated and best producers in the world. The one thing that we really know how to do is to grow food and fiber in this state, and that is always going to be in demand. Wood products are, are some of the most sustainable, environmentally sensitive building materials that mankind has ever dealt with. Uh, and could, and, and you know, new technologies simply can't stack up in terms of building materials to wood. Matter of fact, we're moving to replace some concrete and steel with multi-story wood, wood structures, which are, you know, from engineered wood materials. So I do see a bright future. It's just a matter of weathering this storm. And then for the wood products industry and for researchers is finding ways that wood and wood products can actually benefit and help us live through and be uh, a more robust society against 
any type of additional pandemic or disease outbreaks. And I believe that's the case. I, I'm still an optimist, and I still am very optimistic about the future of Arkansas's forest industries and the future of her forests. I am too, and I appreciate that very much, Dr. Pelkey. Uh, thank you for your time today and explaining this for us, and we'll look forward to uh, touching base with you and, and updating the situation with you a couple of months down the road. Uh, you're very welcome, Ken. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk to everyone. We've been speaking with Dr. Matthew Pelkey, uh, an economist and the Clifford Endowed Chair in the College of Forestry, Agriculture, and Natural Resources at the University of Arkansas at Monticello on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. Finally, Greg Patterson talks to John McMinn, Arkansas Farm Bureau Director of Commodity Activities and Economics, about issues growers of fruits, vegetables, and other specialty crops have been facing recently, from problems caused by COVID-19 to weather, labor, and more. This is Greg Patterson on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. We're talking with John McMinn, and John is the Director of Commodity Activities and the economics side of things uh, as far as specialty crops go for Arkansas Farm Bureau. And John, uh, you follow the specialty crop sector for Arkansas Farm Bureau. Define for our listeners uh, what a specialty crop is. It's kind of a catch-all phrase. Okay. And Greg, thanks for having me. Um, Specialty crops, more or less, are fruits and vegetables, but also included in that are tree nuts, dried nuts, uh, any horticulture and nursery crops flowers, cut flowers and such. Uh, and in some ways you can you can include sweet potatoes in that. Oh, okay. So sweet potatoes is included in specialty crops. Mm, they kind of have a odd balance between they teeter back and forth between row crop and specialty crops. I guess you can include peanuts in that as well. Okay. And and obviously those two sectors have been growing in the state of Arkansas. What are you hearing about uh peanuts or sweet potatoes? Can you repeat that? You broke up a little bit. Yeah, I was going to say that. Uh, let, let's start over again because okay. otherwise, and we may break up here and there. Don't worry about that. Um, I'll, I'll get your. I'll get the question back out to you. I'm going to redo the start. Okay. Three, two, one. This is Greg Patterson, and on this edition of Arkansas AgCast, we're talking with John McMinn. He is the director of commodity activities and economics, ag economics for Arkansas Farm Bureau. He heads up the specialty crop sector. That's the area that he focuses on or one of the areas. And, John, what is what is a specialty crop? Well, Greg, thanks for having me. Uh, specialty crop defined mostly as fruits and vegetables, tree nuts, uh, dried fruits, horticulture items such as cut flowers, or any nursery crops. Uh, also, we have peanuts and sweet potatoes in, our st- in the state of Arkansas, and they can they kind of teeter back and forth between specialty crops and row crops. So it's a pretty uh, broad spectrum of things that you're having to pay attention to. And absolutely, with the uh, whole COVID-19 issues going on and the problems it's creating, uh, the specialty crop sector is is part of the ag sector that's really having some problems right now. Mm-hmm. How is that affecting what specialty crop growers are doing in Arkansas right now? Mostly it's just 
creating a whole lot of questions. Uh, to begin with is going to market. So uh, a few weeks ago, we didn't really know if farmers markets were going to be considered essential business or not. Uh, the Arkansas Department of Health has come back and said they are, but there are some guidelines of those farmers markets that uh, they have to abide by to stay open. You know, some of those farmers markets will have uh, live music or they'll have little face painting booths for kids. They'll sell other items that aren't food related, but in this case, those aren't essential parts of their business. So they've limited it to only food sales. Also, they're putting in um, spaces between each stand at farmer's markets uh, and also cleaning and hand washing stations. Also, uh, growers that aren't initially going to farmer's markets also do you pick operations where you or I would come into their their farm and pick our own our own produce and buy it straight from the grower. Well, with social distancing, a lot of those growers are having to figure out ways of uh, maybe they bring in, they still have to stay open, so they want to bring in uh, customers, but in a safe manner. So they're doing things as mapping out their, their operations as keeping people at certain distances at a safe distance, maybe coming in, scheduling times for specific customers to come in. Um, also, there's also a worry about you know the inputs that go into these crops. Uh, are they being able to deliver those inputs or supplies that those growers need on a timely fashion? Well, no, no. Yeah, there's no doubt. Uh, COVID-19 is obviously uh, affecting many, many parts of the specialty crop sector. And in one of the big, uh, you mentioned you pick and you mentioned spacing and whatnot. Um, obviously, with strawberry season underway, that's a huge you pick market. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The other thing is labor. Uh, it kind of seems like some people have the labor they need. Some people may need some more if they're not going to do U-pick and do pre-pick. Uh, and also, what if your labor force, you know, your employees get sick? What do you do then? So it's it's all about keeping people safe, but at the same time trying to uh, continue business as usual. Now, obviously, uh, with the uh... – citizens of the United States watching t television right now and seeing supply chain issues or meat packing issues or different things like that, uh, row crops that are being, you know, plowed under, they think of in terms of farming as, you know, row cropping and, and meat production and whatnot, but the specialty crop niche in the ag sectors is, is a big thing, especially in Arkansas, correct? Absolutely. Uh, you know, our, our specialty crop sector is a little bit more focused on locally grown or direct marketing. You know, you don't you don't see uh, a whole lot of middlemen in, in our supply chain on specialty crops in the state. But if you go across to, you know, Florida or California and those really big specialty crop uh, industries, you're seeing that, that produce and that product being plowed into the field. Uh, and it's mainly because we've we have the shutdown of restaurants, retail, and schools. You know, those were the biggest consumers of those mass-produced products. Um, you know, we don't want to see that in the state of Arkansas by any means, but we're on a, a much smaller scale than they are at the same time. How nimble is Arkansas's specialty crop sector? And by that, I mean how how quickly can they adjust to – all of the things that are going on right now, you mentioned restaurants are closed and a lot of the specialty crop growers would, uh, part of their market was 
restaurants and, and restaurants now are either closed completely or doing, mm-hmm. you know, takeout. And then you mentioned schools as well. They're closed. And, you know, I know a strawberry grower, 25% of his crop went to farm to school. So how are they having to adjust and are they able to adjust? You know, they're pretty resilient people. Uh, you know, anything's possible if you, you set your mind to it, as they say. And uh, it's it's a huge worry, you know, where they're going to take their product. But at the same time, talking to a grower yesterday or day before, uh, he mentioned this may just bring new opportunity for new ideas. Uh, and that could possibly be a grower that has a U-pick operation. And instead of U-pick, they do pre-pick and sell, you know, per per. Uh, just in a delivery fashion, or you order online and you order how much of that product you want, and they already have it bagged up for you. Saturday morning, I went to a local grower's operation, and just they had a drive-through for their farm stand. They all were wearing gloves and masks, and uh, they were limiting product, but they were still finding a way to get that product to their customers. So, you know, the farm-to-school market uh, is is going to be a difficult one, but there are food banks that need produce too, and they they have a little bit of uh, some financial means to purchase product, but not a lot. Um, so it's it's a uh, people coming up with new ideas is going to be the the main kicker here. It'll be interesting to see what comes out of it. We may see a uh, complete change in how our specialty crop growers in the state do business after all this is over with. John, what about, uh, you know, you talked about folks, new new ways of doing business, and, you know, maybe they order their strawberries online or whatever the product is, and then they go by and they pick it up. That kind of uh, business has been available in what we call the CSAs, the Community Supported Agriculture, where you would sign up, you know, and over a several-month period you go pick up a, a box of vegetables or whatever it happens to be you know, at a church parking lot or someplace like that. Uh, how are the CSAs doing? Um, you know, I, I think the CSA idea is a, is a great idea, and it gets people involved, especially knowing where their 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 food comes from. And that's uh, something that um, we kind of lack in today's society. But uh, they're talking to some growers yesterday. I don't I can I would just assume that CSAs will probably be doing fine because that's keeping people from having to go into grocery stores. You know, that's a highly populated area. A grocery store is compared to going out in the middle of a field and maybe picking your own product or just picking up a box there at the CSA. Uh, the CSA is another option that I spoke with a farmer the other day that said they had never done that before uh, just because what they had been doing in the past was so successful. But in this time, you know, that, that those uh, gears are, are turning and trying to figure out new ways. So that, that may be another opportunity for those people that aren't involved in it. Yeah, and the CSA option uh, is is something that uh, folks can get involved with. But I went online myself the other day, and of course, with CSAs, you you buy a subscription for you know three months, four months, whatever it happens to be. Um, I couldn't find any. Yeah, a good a good source is the uh, Arkansas Local Food Network. Uh, they have a uh, kind of an online farmer's market, and I think that's going to be something you're going to find more of. Uh, people are trying to figure out how to sell more of their product online. Right. Uh, but, uh, the, you know, we're, our growers are good at growing product, 
uh, and may not always have the time to set up a website. So trying to train people or give them the opportunity to uh, set up a website or maybe join a uh, network that already has something set up like that would be a uh, good idea. You were mentioning earlier that the uh, health department had, you know, put out guidelines for farmers markets and there's going to be some changes in regards to how they're run. Are you hearing anything out in the state in regards to some places that have just decided due to other factors to cancel their farmers markets? Yeah, since the, the Department of Health put out those guidelines, I think there's still quite a bit of a scare. Uh, it, from what I'm hearing is majority of the farmers markets are going to open, but there are farmers markets that have just said, nope, we're, we're not even going to you know risk it. We're not going to attempt it. And also, on the other hand, on the other side of that, some of those UPIC operators have also done the same thing uh, and just decided, you know, I don't want anybody on my farm. Uh, the risk is too high. Uh, but for the most part, I think you're going to see most of these farmers markets uh, open and people trying to be as safe as they possibly can. Now, um, you mentioned earlier when you were defining specialty crops, flowers. And a lot of people don't realize that uh, specialty crop growers uh, will do flowers. Is that market going to go anywhere uh, right now? I mean, that's such a fragile product. You know, that it's it's it'll be interesting to see what uh, comes of it because some of those cut flowers can be used as just a enticement to come to the market or come to that grower's you pick operation or farm stand. Uh, to buy other things. So they'll provide flowers uh, and different assortments and arrays, and they're real pretty, but they're also selling their berries or their you know, their tomatoes as well. So um, it seems like those, like I said, those flowers are there just as uh, to get the people in the door uh, to say uh, to, to buy other things as well. One of the things I've noticed in, in covering uh, specialty crops, the ag sector there, um, is there are a fair amount of folks that do uh, ag tourism. Uh, and they tie that into their specialty crop. Uh, again, the whole COVID-19 thing could upset the apple cart uh, in, re in regards to that. Um, mm -hmm. Are you hearing that from uh, specialty crop growers who do have, um, you know, one of those ag tourism areas as well? majority of our ag tourism is, you know, when, it, when you think about it, first thing that comes to mind are corn mazes and pumpkin patches and uh, hay rides on the same venue. And that usually takes, takes place in the fall, October, uh, more or less. If the, if the coronavirus doesn't seem to plateau in a year, the, uh, the curve goes down, as they say, uh, that could definitely become an issue. And I could see a lot of agritourism going down and a lot of operations not even opening to the public. Because you think about all the people, all the schools uh, that do field trips to these pumpkin patches and corn mazes, that I think the risk would be too high. Uh, but it, it'll be interesting to see how that turns out. Um, we, we've got some wine, some wine grapes in, in the state. Uh, I'm not real sure what they do as far as agritourism, or if that's kind of like just in a certain part of the year. But uh, you think about it, it's just a lot of people in one small area, a lot of risk. Well, in communities, you mentioned um, 
the vineyards and the grapes and stuff. And, and obviously several of these crops, grapes included, um, communities will have specific weekends that are dedicated to festivals, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, for these things. So the economic impact of the disruption from the, the COVID-19 could be pretty substantial, not only to the farmer, but uh, to the communities as well. Uh, absolutely. You think about it, any type of festival that they have or a harvest festival, uh, for those 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 products is going to bring in people to those communities. They're going to come in and stay at hotels or eat at restaurants uh, and purchase other little you know trinkets they can get at the festival. And if we're still practicing social distancing, those things won't take place and that money won't be coming in. So you're going to see a huge impact just on those areas, um, not just the festival itself, but what the festival brings in for those communities. What about some of the other specialty crops, um, you know, that are outside of your traditional uh, farmer's market type products? How about, for instance, April is pecan month what about pecans mm-hmm. what are you hearing in regards to uh the pecan crop this year you know, pecans are uh, a, a different beast more or less of compared to the normal fruits and vegetables uh they're kind of a quiet uh part of the industry uh you know I'm, i haven't heard a whole lot about pecans and those growers at the moment to be real honest with you uh, but you know, ag's being impacted just the same. Uh, I don't think they're um, you know uh, out of the storm by any means. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I've talked to uh, pecan growers who, of course, uh, had some uh, rough weather crops that didn't come through. The trade wars that mm-hmm. happened uh, with the predominance of pecans that went to China and that market got cut off. Uh, recent trade agreements have reopened markets, but it, you know, once you lose a market, it's tough to uh, to get it back. Whether you're a pecan grower, a you pick operation, uh, or or you know vegetables, whatever it happens to be, I'd have to think that specialty growers. You're an ag economist. Uh, how razor thin are the margins uh, for these guys to survive? Agriculture in general is a thin, has a thin margin. You know, it's it's the more you put into it, the more money you're going to spend. And everybody's teetering back and forth and trying to you know limit their input costs, increase their yields, and get the best price for their product. Every year, input costs go up, but price commodity prices aren't. So every year, you're seeing more and more growers go out of business. Um, and it's it's tough, you know. It, a lot of these growers, this is their livelihood. You know, they're not in it to get rich. They're doing it. To, this is a way of life. This is how, you know, their generations potentially have done it on their their property. Uh, I can only imagine the the headache, the stress, the risk that these people are going through uh, every day. You know, farming is difficult in general. Now you throw in throw in the COVID-19 risk and the social distancing and the markets potentially collapsing and prices going down. And it's a, it's a scary thing. Imagine how they sleep at night. Yeah. You mentioned the risk that this whole COVID-19 issue has brought up uh, for all people in agriculture, not only specialty growers. And then 
this week we you throw in the typical thing that a farmer worries about, which is weather, and and there were some mm-hmm. frost pockets throughout the state, um, right in the middle of strawberry season, right when peaches are budding out, right when um, you know vegetable crops are are at their tenderest and coming up, you know, uh, poking their heads through the ground. Uh, did you hear anything about frost issues this week? I did. You know, agriculture's uh, no matter what you're growing, is full of different variables you can't control. You can only uh, manage them, and uh, frost is definitely one of them. Uh, for right at the moment, strawberries would probably be the biggest scare. Uh, you're, you're hearing people putting on row covers over their strawberries, uh, but we're you know we're we're coming up right on strawberry harvest. So in some places, it's already here. For your your vegetable uh, people. Uh, tomatoes are getting into the ground, uh, being planted or already planted. Uh, uh, you could also use some row covers there. Bell peppers, that that's a real tender uh, plant that can really be hurt by the frost. Uh, peaches, um, you know, that it's from what I heard from a grower was that it's not so much the, the cold, it's how long it stays cold that could really hurt a peach crop. Uh, and, you know, your berry growers, you're seeing people also in grape vineyards, they'll bring in bales of hay and unroll them and uh, set those on fire and let them smolder to kind of control the temperature around their their crop. Uh, you can light barrels as well. Uh, even heard of, you know, really big operations, you probably wouldn't see it in the, in the state of Arkansas, maybe uh, bringing in helicopters to kind of stir up the air in that area on the ground to try to control the temperature as well, just to prevent those crops from catching the frost and potentially losing half for all of your crop. Well, John, you're, you're absolutely correct in the uh, trials and tribulations of farming. I talked to a strawberry grower uh, this week who said uh, Sunday night they had hail, straight line mm-hmm. winds to 70 miles an hour, um, and then within the next two days, they also had the uh, frost that came down, and, and he said he he would have to reassess where he was as far as the strawberry crop by the end of this week. So, um, Pete, punches keep on rolling, don't they? They sure do. I think he ended the text to me with, it's a joy to be a farmer. But as you <laughs> said, they're resilient. Um, thanks for visiting with us. We've been talking with John McMinn. He's the uh, Director of uh, Commodity Activities and and Ag Economics uh, for Arkansas Farm Bureau. We appreciate you uh, visiting us on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. That's it for this week. Arkansas AgCast will be back next week with the latest news and updates about agriculture across our state. 